Today we are going into our second and fifth chapter of James. Um, there are themes that are linked between James 2 and James 5, so I brought them together so that we can actually get through the book of James in four weeks. And uh, so there's a lot of scripture reading today, um, which is amazing. And, uh, and so as I suggested last week, I really wanted to encourage people to read this short book of James throughout the week. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands on how many people followed through on that. I know that some people did. Um, and so <laughs> I got some hands. That's good. <laughs> um, it is a good thing to read through this book. It's very, very short. So I'm going to encourage you again this week, read through it again. Do it again. Um, I have friends who have this book memorized. Who this is that one of their goals was let's memorize the book of James, and they actually accomplished it. And it was able to to help them understand who and what God is, and 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 how God wants them to live. This was a great book to just put deep into our hearts and a good way to understand um, understand the word. Now, what what you do is you're reading it. You may come up with questions. Um, or, or realizations that there are parts that are important. They're really like, just highlight them. Um, I encourage you to write on uh, a f the, sorry, write in the, your tablet, um, even during the message, write in your tablet a question or what you think is important and write forum right in front of it. Because if you've got questions that we're able to address during the forum, then we can actually do that. We can engage in that, and, uh, and it will be helpful um, for what God is doing among us. This is how we're able to communicate as a community of, uh, of faith. So I'm going to read chapters 2 and chapters 5 if questions come up about chapters 2 and chapters 5, please write them down. Guaranteed, I'm not getting through everything. But the Holy Spirit will speak to you in your heart about things that he needs to address in you. That's just going to come straight out of the scripture. You don't need me to exegete it for you. Um, I'm going to exegete one area of, of the scripture today. But we have two chapters that we're going to go through. So um, I'd encourage that. And if during today's message at any point you have questions uh, or you want to make a comment or something, please just write it in the, in the tablet. We'll get to it at the end of the message today. All right. Let's, uh, let's read the scripture. Um, and, uh, and I am reading two chapters of scripture. So buckle in. We got this. Look for what the Holy Spirit is saying to you in the scripture. Don't let it just in one ear, in one ear, out the other. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word today. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, God has not chosen those who are, has, sorry, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich? in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. 
Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are not are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in it one point it has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy, because mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself doesn't, that does not have works is dead. But if someone, if, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justi justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messages and sent them by an the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. I'm going to skip to chapter 5 now. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have, water, have, have rotted and your, garden, your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat your flesh like um, against you and will eat your flesh like fire you have laid up treasure in the last days behold the wages of the laborers who have mowed your fields which you have kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lord of hosts you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He doesn't resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how a farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. It's, that's at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 
As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Yet you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins." God, there's a lot in that passage. Holy Spirit, I know that you're working. I thank you that your word is true and alive. Bless the hearing of your word today as it sits on our hearts. In Jesus' name. It's funny, in preaching class I was actually told, never read long passages of scripture. And then in hermeneutics, which is how you interpret the scripture, I was told, the people in the church, they don't know the Word of God well anymore. And I went, probably because what you're teaching them in, teaching, in preaching class is to not share the Word of God. Anyways, so I've determined to read the Word of God um, because that's actually where life is. So um, that will happen again. I will read large blocks of Scripture because I believe that God's Word is God's revelation to us today. So... A 13-year-old girl arrives on time. She's a little bit nervous. I know, it's a, it's, it's a fantasy right off the start, but it actually happened. <laughs> She's a little nervous as she gets out of the car. Have a good evening, her mother said, as she watches her daughter open the door for the church for the first time. Girl's name is Susan. She grew up in a subsidized housing complex right beside the church, but this church is for the rich people. She wasn't rich. She'd been invited to the church by a youth pastor who was doing an outreach in her community. He thought everything was going to be all right. He thought that she would meet Jesus. He thought wrong. Susan is now grown up. She has her own son in the early grades of school. Susan has nothing to do with the church, and she never broke the, the cycle of poverty. I know Susan today. I knew Susan on that day. One of the things that I want to talk about in, in this passage is partiality. So there, there is a socioeconomic divide in Bradford. 
It's something that has happened as Bradford has grown up. This town specifically has a very unique split in it. It's something where, where it's a struggle. I, I'm on the parent council at WH Day. And I see this very, very clearly at WH Day where there are people who attend WH Day that live in houses that are four times the size of the living space that there, of other people that, li- that go to WH Day. Um, just with where the borders are and, and what's happened. There, are, there is poverty in Bradford and there are riches in Bradford. We have a very diverse community. Part of that is just, we, we, Bradford for a while was a suburb of Newmarket, and now it's becoming its own suburb of Toronto. There's a change, a shift that's happened in this town. The call of the church inside of that reality is a call to be united. United around differences, united around, around a single calling, which is to, to foreshadow the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, united around a reality that says we all have one common piece. I was walking down, down this hallway right here, and if you actually look on the hallway, just down the hall on the way to the bathrooms, you're going to notice something else that, that divides Bradford, and it's language. So, so on, the, on the hallway, there are pictures of exercises, and somebody was doing isometric exercises on the hallway. It's right there. I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And so they're pushing against the wall. And it's written in English. And then it's written in two non-Latin languages that I can't read. That I'm like, I don't know what those languages are, but they're there. I think one is Russian, and I'm not sure what the other one is. There's another difference that's happened in Bradford. Because of the fast growth, we have a difference of, of language. We have a difference, and, and it's there, and it's something that is real. It's something that's happening in our culture. And so James 2 starts us off by saying, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. James 2 says, I don't want you to make distinctions. I don't want you to say, oh, well, you are one and, and somebody else is the other. James is saying... We need to not treat people differently. We need to actually treat people like they are humans and brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very simple, but it's also very challenging. See, one of the questions that comes up is why do we show partiality in the first place? Why does that even happen? James 2, 1 to 9, I'm not going to read it again, but it goes through this idea that if a rich person comes in, this is what's happening in the church that James is writing to, a rich person comes in and they're being honored, and a poor person comes in and they're being dishonored. And, and we show pers- uh, partiality, and, and as I go through today's message, we're going to hear about Susan's story, and Susan's story was a time when I actually experienced this. I observed it as a church leader. I was not the pastor in this situation, but I was a church leader in this situation, and I watched it happen, and I was heartbroken by it. And I want us to be heartbroken by what happens if we were to ever show partiality. I want us to be aware that says, as a new church, we cannot fall down this road of showing partiality because of the damage that it does. So as we go through through this, I want to I want us to understand what it is so that we're able to 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 make sure we don't we don't go down this road. It, it's an awareness piece. It's like, hey, let's let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at it. So we show pers- partiality partly because we are human. 
and, uh, and, and we make observation judgments. Really, really easy to do. Really easy to do. I walk in any situation, I'm going to instantly know a whole bunch of information about what's going on um, on a whole bunch of different levels. I walk into a room and I know if there's tension. I walk into a room and I know if it's set up to be inclusive and welcoming or whether it's, whether it's closed off. I walk into a group of people, I know who is, in, who is in the inner circle and who is on the outside. I can see all those things. I know those things instantly. It's just all of us, we, we have these awareness pieces that, that go, oh, this is, this is what this social setting is. Oh, I see what's going on here. Oh, I can see the power struggles that are happening. Oh, I can see the, the social pieces that are happening. So, so it happens. And we observe that people are different than us. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's just a, a fact of being human. We observe a difference. So Susan walked into the group. She saw 50 kids. They were all running around a gym and they were having fun. They're tossing dodgeballs around, playing basketball, skipping with ropes, laughing. It was loud. It was a gym about this size and it was loud. There's kids everywhere just, just hoofing balls at each other, laughing, running, having a ton of fun. And the trouble started when the program started and everybody was asked to come together and there was a way that everybody fell in. There was a way that, that everybody knew how to act. But Susan didn't know how to act. And so, you know, some of the kids were asked to speak and, and they were put into groups and they were asked to speak, but Susan didn't know what to do. They knew when to be quiet and when and where to go and what to do. And Susan didn't know when she was supposed to be quiet versus when she was supposed to speak. When she started talking and then she listened to them there was a clear realization that their language wasn't the same. That they, they spoke English, but they spoke English differently. They had different accents, uh, different ways of talking um, that, that wasn't the same. Um, Susan spoke with slang, the way she did at home. But the people at the church, they didn't speak with slang. So they thought that she was different and probably not as smart but she was quickly being identified as an outsider. The differences created a quick wall. Here I was in that gym, I was watching it happen. I mean, they're kids, it's just what's gonna happen. I was watching it happen. And I was like, what can I do to help Susan? What can I do to help her? Man, it was hard. So there's another way that we show partiality, and it's actually in our language. Um, sociologists have studied uh, the, the development of language, and there's actually differences that happen. Because, because James is talking about socioeconomic differences, I'm talking about socioeconomic differences, to be clear. I'm just bringing it right out of the scripture. But there are differences that are happening between um, poverty, middle class, and wealthy class, and they have different ways of communicating and different values. And so this chart actually comes from um, it comes from a, a book called Bridges Out of Poverty. It's a great course to take to understand socioeconomic differences in, in our town, and it's very relevant for us today. And I actually went through the course, and it was very, very helpful. Um, but when we look at language, we see that language tends, uh, in, in the poverty area, language is for social survival. Language is used for building relationships that say, hey, if I need something, then, then you can bail me out. And if, if you need something, then I'll bail you out. Language is used also for um, 
it is used for relief. So you see a lot of, of uh, coarse humor and, and a lot of uh, informal dialogue where, where things are just, there's, a, there's just a different type of language. In the middle class, language is about negotiation because it's about getting what you need getting what you want. You're communicating. You're saying, this is what I want. This is what I need. Here are my goals and my aspirations. And, and this is what I'm thinking about. We, in, in the middle class, we use slang and we use casual, you know, informal language. But when we're in a social setting, like a, a church or like a school um, or any other social setting where there might be uh, strangers, we will use a more formal dialect. We'll actually change the way that we speak and we'll stop being as casual and we'll use full sentences and properly communicate. Um, and that's something that, that happens inside the middle class. class. Inside the wealth class, I heard that it's like this. Um, <laughs> language is about connections and networking. So the study would say that language is used for the means of expanding your networks, expanding your influence, expanding your, your communication piece. And so language is very different. And socially, when we walk into a place, when we walk into a place, if I walk into a place that has a higher level of wealth, and I'm in like the circles where people are, the number for this one was people who um, they're, uh, net wealth was over $25 million. That was what they used for wealth. Uh, they're, they're, so they were like, this is, this is what we're using as the line. If I were to walk into that environment, I don't think I actually have ever been in that environment before, and I were to use my language, I would be identified as an outsider. I'd be identified right away. You'd be like, mm, yeah, you're not talking properly. You're not actually one of us. Interestingly, I grew up in the poverty level. I grew up as an at-risk youth in Newmarket. I grew up as a, you know, like I'm in a subsidized housing. Um, I have all kinds of, you know, I, I got the, the cool labels and the, you know, whatever this kid's got this behavioral issue and whatever, and uh, got myself kicked out of high school. It was good times. It was great. Um, and, and I struggled. And, and I learned, actually, by being inside of a church, I was actually able to learn the language and the social cues of a, of a, of a middle-class person. So much so that when I hung out with people in my neighborhood, when they were new, they actually didn't think I belonged. They thought that I actually didn't belong. And I was like, whoa, this is interesting, until I was able to change back. And I actually learned how to morph as a child, in between the cultures that I was in, I was able to switch. Um, again, I've never tried wealth. I don't know what that's like. Anybody want to help me with that? Anybody? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, and so, so the problem of exclusion goes both ways. As we, as, as we experience these different levels, naturally, socially, humans segregate. That's what happens. It's not a good thing, it's not a bad thing, it's a factual thing. We actually segregate around differences. Part of it's for safety. Um, and so when we segregate, we, we also make value statements. One is better than the other. One is worse than the other. 
James is addressing some of that here. James is saying, one of the, one of the interesting things is James is saying in, in chapter 5, and I, I'm just referencing it here, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And it's like, what? And he's talking to the people who, who are poor, and he's going, it's, it's cool, take pride in your humility. And so James is messing with our values that we place on these different things. And he's saying, change it up a little, guys. Change it up a little. It's not supposed to be one is better, one is... He's saying, no, no, God's looking at it differently. God's looking at those, those markers that we place in our culture. He's looking at them differently. And he's saying, what you value isn't what I value. Where you value wealth and growth and, well, I'm just going to get it all together. God's going, no, no, no. Those things rot. That rots. That's going away. Don't place your value there. Impromptu story. I was buying my first house with my wife. And uh, we, we were looking at a house in Newmarket on Jacaranda. It was a beautiful little bungalow. It had a huge backyard. It was being sold for $350,000. Three bedroom, two bedroom downstairs. It would be perfect for my parents to move in. Everything was lovely. And Valerie and I were praying about it. And we're like, what should we do? You know, we can afford it. It's good. You know, a little bit cold feet because we're first time home buyers. But, you know, we're pretty convinced this is going to be okay. <laughs> and we're praying about it. And God is like, nope. Somehow we knew in our, in our hearts, we knew, nope. And people started saying, oh, don't worry. If God told you no, then he's got something better for you. And I took that back to prayer. And God was like, no, 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 not necessarily. Don't, don't get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in this. It's not that I have something better for you. It's that I value something different than you value. And I was like, oh, that. That's interesting. So values are something that we, that we have that are different. God has different values for us. In our social circles, we have different values. As I watched Susan play, I saw the others were starting to notice that she wasn't the same. See, outside of the church community, Susan had her neighborhood friends and school friends, and she was popular enough. But inside the church, her friends, friends would be harder to find. So she used... She, used, she, she was compensating. So she'd brag about her friends outside the church because she felt vulnerable. And she'd brag about how, how popular she was so that everybody else would know that she's popular so that they would like her. Well, the problem is that strategy actually backfired on her because in the church culture, it's wrong to brag. And so she was labeled now as arrogant. She wasn't just different, but she's prideful. And it was painful to watch. Susan did it to affirm her own value, but the church people affirmed her own problems. So now she thought that she was strange, worldly, and arrogant. Her future integration into the church community was at risk. The distinctions we make about people are sometimes the very barriers that stop them from engaging. They're the very barriers that say, you're actually not welcome here, even though we never said it with our mouth. And James is saying, 
when you show partiality, you dishonor God. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. As a transgressor. So we meet here at Promise Church in a place of humility. This is so important for us to have as a primary value. If one of our values as a church is we're going to value God and we're going to value community and we're going to value God growing us personally in our spiritual walk and also in our community, then we need to understand that we meet together in a place of humility in a mixed community. We have to understand this. We have to understand that there are people who are going to be different than us that walk into this church, that walk into this place of, God, of, of worship of God, and they're going to be different, and we have to be aware of the differences so that we can allow people to be welcome. Susan never meant to be trouble. She never, ever meant to be trouble. So there are four markers of a Christian, of a Christ-centered community that I have to get through really quick. One, we overlook the differences in others, James 2, um, 8 to 11, and that's the part where it says what I just read, um, you should love your neighbor as yourself, but if you show partiality, you're committing a sin. A church community unites around the person of Jesus Christ regardless of any other cultural or social signals. We unite around Christ. What I want conversations to be about here at Promise Church is I want our conversations to be about what God is doing in our lives. I want our conversations to be full of, of hey, God's been teaching me this. This is interesting. This is challenging. This is what I'm learning at work. This is what I'm learning at home. This is, this is what God is doing in my life. We are going to be a Christ-centered community. It's the, it is our point of unity. It's our point, it's our common interest that brings us together. And if we ignore that and try to be something that we're not, we actually will become phony. So the reason that, that the peace that brings us together is a community built around Jesus Christ. And so we need to actually be aware of that. We need to show mercy to people who are different, James 2, 12 and 13. So... Speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy, and because mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to show mercy over differences, whereas the kids in the youth group judged Susan as, pri as proudful, we need to actually assume that there's more to the story than the judgments that we make about individuals. Even if we heard something that could be pretty inflammatory, yeah, no, there's more to the story. Get the story before you start to make judgments because mercy triumphs over judgment. So over the next few weeks, Susan came back to the church. She was made fun of. She was excluded. Susan was labeled. The problem was every single accusation was an accurate description of how they were reading Susan in that setting. Nobody was out to exclude her, but they were just describing the differences. And it was so challenging. She was louder. She was rougher. She was more agitated. She was a little bit less fashionable. She was not loved. I talked to Susan a couple of days ago. We're still friends. She hates the church. She sees right through their lies. That's her perception now. Church isn't a place for her. 
according to Stats Canada and the way they measure things, she would still be in poverty. She's a single mother that lives in Bradford now. She cusses better than most people I know. She drinks and parties and tries to make the best of her life. That didn't have to be her experience. It didn't have to be her experience. See, we act in a way that demonstrates community. 14 and 19. What good is it, my brother, if we have, if someone says they have faith but don't have works? Man, this verse, Martin Luther wanted ripped out of the Bible. Actually, he wanted all of James ripped out of the Bible. But he didn't like this because it went against his normal way of thinking. But what he's saying, what James is saying right here is he's linking it to social economic differences. And he's saying if you don't care for the people who, have a, who are of a different socioeconomic place than you are, your faith is being forgotten. It's not changing your life. There's a problem here. Your faith is up here in your brain and it's not made it out to your hands yet. And so he's saying, hey, if there are social economic differences and you guys don't pay attention to it, you're missing the point. You're missing it. And so, so he's saying your faith without works is dead. You can't say, oh yeah, I wish you best of luck. Go, have fun, enjoy your life, be, have lots of prosperity, and don't do anything to help somebody get there. You kind of missed the point. And so he's very much like, we, we need to take this seriously. Your faith relies on it. So if you prefer one, another, one over another and ignore needs, your faith is, well, James used the word dead. It's a little harsh. Anybody else think that's harsh? I feel it's harsh. It's in the Bible. And one of the cool things is in James chapter 5, one of the markers for a community centered around Jesus is we're there for each other. Man, if we do these things, if we center our lives around Jesus, if we talk about Christ, if we talk about what he's doing, if we're involved in that sense of community, man, we get to be there for each other. We get to be there for each other. We get to build each other up. This, this passage here says, is anybody suffering? Let them pray. If anybody's cheerful, let them sing praise. If anyone is sick, call on the elders of the church. We're going to get involved. We're going to do this together. If you're going through a hard time, you know, let's pray. Let's engage that. Let's not just push it off. Let's not just push it off and say it doesn't exist and pretend that it's all fine. No, let's engage it in real, heartfelt, Christ-centered community. If you're sick, let's, let's take that to God because God's the one who's going to make a difference in this. Right? Am I alone? Awesome. God's going to make a difference in it. So don't let our differences stand in the way of community because we all identify with Jesus. I want us, I welcome us to be open with what our culture says is private. I want us to be open with our own spiritual learning. What is God teaching you? What's going on in your life that God might be, might be molding you and changing you? These type of Christ-centered conversations are conversations that build trust. They build community. And we always, in those conversations, it becomes when somebody's telling us and being vulnerable and saying, hey, this is, this is what God's teaching me. Now it's my job as a listener to just extend mercy. To just be like, yeah, I get it. I get it that that's hard. And we're going to extend mercy. Our point of unity is Jesus Christ. 
And that's what James is calling us to. Our point of unity is around Jesus Christ. I mean, I'm really cool and I've got my, my cool pink and blue shirt on. I'm not the point of community here. I can't be because I'm not that cool. It's just my shirt that's cool. Our point of unity is around Jesus. So I've got some questions that have come in. Thank you very much for bringing up your questions. <coughs> yeah, so when, when saying faith apart from works, does that mean belief without action? James is specifically here talking about our faith. When we say we have faith and it's a social economic difference and we ignore the social economic difference and we leave somebody in their poverty, that our beliefs don't actually have actions, yeah. Our beliefs are missing the actions. And how can you believe in something that you don't actually follow through and act on? That's challenging. That is challenging. Interesting that you say Susan spoke with slang and the richer kids did not. Perhaps they speak in slang, but because we privilege the rich, we don't call it slang. We call it normal. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yep. I'm not even going to touch that. That's bang on. Can you post a slide on poverty, middle class, wealth on Slack? Yes, we can. And if you're not on Slack, you can actually just scroll down on your what's happening. You'll see a Slack announcement. Say, I want to join Slack. You can see this information. Slack is where we communicate throughout the week. If you want to be involved in little communication stuff coming up, that's what Slack is. And so, yes, we can put that up. Okay, what about different love languages? Not everybody has the same idea of how they need or want to be loved. Great point. So this isn't about like, oh, you have, to, you have to do something. What you have to do here is you have to acknowledge that there are differences. We need to unite around Jesus, and we need to show mercy. When we talk about love languages, um, I'm going to assume the trademarked idea of love languages, which comes from Gary Chapman, um, how you receive love, acts of service, words of affirmation, um, quality time. Um, there are two more. Yes, gifts. And um, pardon me? And physical touch. Thank you. So those are the five. Um, not everybody has the same ideas of how they want to or need to be loved. Loving somebody actually is your step right after making them feel welcome. Susan never even got to the point where she was able to be loved because the differences were so stark and the community didn't accept them. It was like oil and water. She couldn't be loved. Do we really care or are we loving the unlovable? How do we be genuinely loving and not just lip service? <sighs> I'm going to go with Jesus as our example of genuine loving. And I'm not talking about Jesus' ministry. I'm talking about Jesus' death. We don't want to be genuinely loving because it actually costs it actually has a cost. And so I encourage us as Christians to allow the Holy Spirit to grow in us our sense of sacrifice for the sake of the other. Because that is the type of love that God calls us to. A love that gives when it hurts. And God restores from there, if I were to look at if I were to look at Jesus' life, I look at Jesus died, he sacrificed, 
and we sacrifice to show love to others, but God then restores the life and there's resurrection after sacrifice. And for us, there is no greater, uh, there, there, there is, there's a greater sense of, of being the giver than being the receiver. There's more blessing in the giving than in the receiving. So I'm going to pray and, and Devin is going to close us in worship. God, I thank you so much for the challenge of James that says, build a community centered on Christ. Don't show partiality even among differences. Don't shut people out because they're different, but show them love. And God, I just pray that as we're such a young community, mold us in your image, Jesus. That's our heart. We're new, we're young. We're going to make mistakes. But help us be a community of mercy. A community that says that you are God and that Others are accepted. In Jesus' name, amen.